This past week, as I began to try to think through and prepare, I had so many different things going on in my life, and I told the Lord, I said, God, I'm so busy, but the last thing I want to do is just come up here on Sunday and get through Sunday. I said, that's not my heart. And so Friday and Saturday, I fell on my face, and I said, Lord, if you don't give me a word, I've got nothing to speak. And the Lord began to just overflow And so I've got about 50 scriptures this morning. I am so excited. For those who are studying Ephesians with me on Sunday nights, uh, you're going to recognize some of this because um, I just, I I thought I was going one direction. And as I studied, the Lord just kept bringing me back to Ephesians 15 through 18. We're only going through four verses today, only through four. But the Lord just kept bringing me back to this to really share with the congregation and really dissect the scripture this morning. And so, as we always begin with my life verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, I want to begin with that this morning. They'll be up on the screens for you, but it says, My message and my preaching are not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but yet on the power of God. Let us pray this morning. Lord, we are so thankful for who you are. And God, I know this morning that without you speaking, it is worthless for us to be here. So God, I pray right now that the presence of God, the the breath, the very breath of God that breathes life into people will go forth in this moment. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we give you all glory. Lord, I just pray you'll take control right now, for it's in your name. Amen. All right, if you have your scriptures, open up to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Uh, really 15 through 19, so I've already added a verse here to you. Um, As I I study this scripture, I get so excited because it just begins to just show me more and more about who our God is. But let's just go to the Lord, and let's just go to the scriptures and read, starting in verse 15. It says, this is Paul speaking to the people of Ephesus. He's writing a letter to the people of Ephesus, and let me just give you a real brief understanding these are people who are somewhat new believers now when i say new believers i'm talking like it it, it possibly the last time he saw them was when they they converted to christ the last time that he was with them was when they accepted jesus so now he's writing this letter to them so he understands one of the reasons i love ephesians the book of ephesians it's almost like discipleship we are starting with new believers that now Paul is speaking to stand just who they are in Christ because they didn't know this. And so he begins to speak it to them. So he begins to pray them in verse 15. And I just want to kind of look at this prayer. It says, For then I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord, exist among you and your love for all the saints. And thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayer. Here comes the prayer. That the God of our Lord Christ, the Father of glory may give to you of wisdom and revelation of revelation of him. Let's stop right there for a second. Because in just a minute, we're going to get into even more of the meat of the prayer. But he begins to, to pray by saying, I pray that you have wisdom from God. God gives you that wisdom. So let's go back to my life verse in chapter 1, verses, or chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. My message and my preaching are not in persuasive words of wisdom, of the spirit and of the power. Verse so key, it says that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but the power. What you see here is Paul is praying. He's saying, hey, I want, I want you to have understanding, but I want you to have that from people. I want you to get this wisdom and understanding from God, who is the author of wisdom, as the scripture says. For faith, he's the author of wisdom. And so there's no better place than seek wisdom from God and not people. 
Now, hear from God through people. But it's so interesting to me that when you're seeking wisdom or understanding, it's easy for us to turn to other people. Is it not? I think that the reason that we turn to other people sometimes instead of turning to the breath of God, which all of you have in your hands, I hope that you're taking very good care of it, but I think that the reason that we turn to people instead of the breath of God sometimes is because we're a little bit fearful of what God's going to tell us, but we're okay with what they're going to tell us. It's like this mindset in our heart that says, well, I can handle what this person's going to tell me, but I just don't know if I can handle what God's going to say. You know, I've got some people in my life that I know that if I call, they're going to speak truth in my life. And whenever I'm struggling with something, I want to call them because I want to know the truth. But I don't want to call them sometimes because I know it's going to be painful. Anybody understand that? Anybody agree with that? And so what happens in our mindset is is that sometimes we will run to worldly wisdom because we think that it's going to help us and it's going to be a little bit easier on us. But let me tell you what worldly wisdom does. It brings about death and destruction. But godly wisdom brings about peace. It brings about joy. Though it may be difficult to hear, though it may be hard for us to understand, it brings about joy and peace in our life ultimately. You can go back to Hebrews and you can go back to other places in the scripture where it talks about how God disciplines us. So whenever we're seeking wisdom, we're seeking things, he shares with us the truth and it, 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 it is painful for a short time, but yet it yields the fruit of righteousness. When you hear something that may be coming against a false belief system in your heart, it's going to be painful to hear that. But wouldn't you say that it's better on the other side than on this side? But whenever we run to worldly wisdom, sometimes we try to find the grass that's greener on the other side. And I heard it say the other day that grass is only greener on top of a septic tank. And I think that's pretty true. But when we seek godly wisdom... And we understand that he is speaking to us. And we know according to Titus, and we'll get there in a minute, and other places in scripture that God cannot lie. We also know that God has, 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 has the best thing for the kingdom of God in mind. He has our, our, our life in mind whenever he's telling us. He's speaking to us things that are good for us. He says he's got plans for us. He's, he's speaking all these things to us. When we realize that we're willing to accept the wisdom of God and not just turn to man's wisdom and try to do it that way. I would venture to say all of us have scars on us today from times that we've trusted man's wisdom over God. I can tell you I do. I would say that many of us have scars that are still painful to simply trust at man's wisdom. Paul's telling these new believers in Ephesus, I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation coming from, it's coming from God. He's praying that God wisdom. And so we need to seek godly wisdom. We need the word of God. We need to seek God. Standing. In verse 18, he begins this, but the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints. Verse 19, what is the surpassing greatness towards us who believe? So in this prayer, we see three major points. Paul basically gave me a three-point measure. He said, we pray for the hope. I pray that through the God that you have the knowledge and understanding of what is of 
not your calling, his calling, is the hope of his calling. He then says, what is the rich of his inheritance? And then what is the surpassingness of his power? And so today I want to just look at the places in this one, two verses. Of, the first thing I want to see is what is the, uh, the hope of his calling? The word hope here, you've got to understand. It's that I hope that the Atlanta Braves win, win the pennant. It's not that I hope uh, that the police officer didn't see me going 50. It's not that kind of hope. The word hope there, it means, let me just read it for you so you, you get it. It, it. This is out of Strong's Concordance, Hebrew and Greek. Uh, it says the expectations are to be confident of something that is good. The word hope there means really to know for sure something that is good. To have concrete evidence, to understand, to, to, to know that this is going to take place. Now I don't know about y'all, but that really helps me. I've shared this with you before, but, but I struggle with the word hope. Because in Titus it says that we have hope of eternal life. And I told the Lord that day, I said, Lord, I don't want to have hope of eternal life. Because the word hope to me means that it may happen. I long for it to happen, but I just don't know if it's really going to happen. And then when I studied the word and said to, to have concrete, confident evidence, to know, to, to have confidence of eternal life, that means a whole big difference in my life. Because all of a sudden I'm like, man, I have confidence that eternal life is going to happen. That I have eternal life. It says, I, I am confident, so hope of his calling. Confident of something good of his, God's calling. The word calling means this in, in, in the Greek. It says a, a call or an invitation to the kingdom of God and its privileges. Interesting. The word calling there in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 means an invitation to the kingdom of God and its privileges. I was like, privileges? Never thought of it like that. So what is the, let's start with the invitation. The call to the invitation to the kingdom of God. Well, that goes back to the idea of salvation. So let's look at that. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 7, we see this. When women, when woman, not women, when woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate it. She also gave it to her husband and he also gave it to her husband and he ate. Then their eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they had sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin covering. So we see right there in Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, the fall of man is what we call it. It's when sin enters this world. So we see in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all had sinned. So we see here that sin has entered the world. If you were born outside of Jesus, because Jesus was born to a virgin, if you were born, you were born into sin. I, have a, I, I just got to share with you today, I think everybody in here knows this, but we have a sin nature that we were born into. I don't have to teach little Samuel and Emmy to do anything wrong. They just do it. A lot. That's a prayer request. I love my children like crazy, but I have to teach them to do the, 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 the will of the Lord. I have to teach them to do things that are honorable and right. I don't have to teach them to go up and, and hit somebody. That just comes natural to them, especially a little boy, two years old, doesn't quite understand. He's got this golf club walking around the house. 
a kid golf club, not an actual golf club. And he's swinging it at things. I'm like, no, you don't, you don't swing it. And all of a sudden he walks up to Emmy and he's got this golf club. I was like, uh-oh, we got a problem. And I jumped right in the middle of it and took care of it. Emmy is okay. Praise the Lord. I told you it's a prayer request. But we don't have to teach them what to do wrong. And that's the thing, like, in today's society, let me tell you something. If somebody is not teaching the truth of the gospel, people are going to grow up and continue to take the flesh and, and the sin that is so natural to them, and it's going to continue and continue to fester and grow in their lives. So we see that we have a sin problem. In Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3, it says this, And you were dead. Now he's talking formally. He's talking to the people of Ephesus, remember? And they are now believers. So he's telling them, hey, you once were, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So we can take that scripture, and if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's not were, it is. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior today, and I'm talking in a relationship, not in religion. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, then that word is not were, it is is. Go back to verse 1 for me. Let's read it. If you're not a believer, this is what it says. And you are, not is, are. You are dead in your trespasses and sin. But because he's talking to people who have now transformed from death to life, because Christ has entered their life, Acts 19, you can read all about it, it says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So then he goes into verse 2 and he says, in which you formerly walked according to, the, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Let's go back to verse 2 because I want you to see this. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it says in which you formerly walked. You can take the word formally and, and just remove it. It says in which you walk. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is where we're at. Now in verse 3, it gets even more. It goes, in verse 3, it says this. It says, Among them you were to all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, if you put it in the present tense, not knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it says that you are a child of wrath, which means that you are a child of Satan. Why? Because it talks about in Scripture, it says that through sin, through one man, sin entered, right? And we became dead. We became dead in our sin. But praise God for the blood of the Lamb. That should get you excited. Praise God for the blood of the Lamb. Because it says you once were children of wrath. We have a sin problem. But God has a calling to you today. And that calling is an invitation to the kingdom of God. He's invited you into the kingdom of God. But there's only one way. It's not multiple ways. I'm sorry people can call me intolerant. But I'm just speaking the truth. There is one way. And let me just tell you. The truth is right here in John chapter 14 verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way. It doesn't say I'm the multiple ways. It doesn't say that there are multiple ways. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You say, David, what's the invitation today? Well, the invitation is this. That Jesus died so that you can transform from this death of, of sin and child of wrath into the kingdom of God. He's given you an invitation to the kingdom of God. But here's the thing. The cost is that it costs you your life. But when you understand what you gain from laying your life down for the kingdom of God, it really doesn't even compare to what you lose. But it's really difficult to let people grasp that. 
And that's the reason, church, we've got to be the church and we've got to live in such a way that people see the glory of God every day in our lives so that they can grasp the difference between being dead and alive. That's why it's so important that we're the church and that we be the church so that people can see the hope, the concrete evidence, the understanding of the calling, the invitation to them to the glory of God, to the kingdom of God. And you say, well, David, is there an invitation for me? I long to be in the kingdom of God. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1-7, through 7, let's look at this. It says, first of all, then I urge you, uh, entreaties and prayers, petitions, thanksgivings, be made on behalf of all men. It says, for the kings and all who are in authority, so that they may lead a tranquil, quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, verse 4, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. All men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You say, David, is the invitation there for me? Yes, the invitation is right here for you today. It says in Philippians, it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. As I was worshiping right here as Brother Ed was leading, what went into my mind in that moment is that every person, whether a believer or not a believer, is going to kneel someday before God. And so you have a choice today. The invitation is is that you can kneel before the throne of God today, laying your life down and saying, God, I want to come into the kingdom of God by the blood of the Lamb and by Christ alone. Or there will be a day that you will kneel before God. But Revelation talks about this, and it talks about the fact that that there's a place called hell, and that place was designed not for us, but for those who had fallen, the angels that have fallen. But because we are now children of wrath, if you do not know Him as your Lord and Savior, if you decide to choose today to live in your, 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 your deadness, in your sin, in your trespasses, if you believe the world's wisdom and try to follow in the world's wisdom, and you die in your sin, the Scripture says... That there's a place of eternal damnation. I'm not trying to scare you, I'm just speaking the truth. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, one of my favorite scriptures in all of, all of the Bible. Many of you have it memorized. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus, as Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with your heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. The invitation's open. We could stop right here and just have an invitation this morning because the call is here. And I am speaking it from God to you, to myself. The call, the invitation to the kingdom of God is here. And so will you believe, will you have wisdom in God to accept the calling? The second part of this calling is is that, that it says, remember the word calling means a call An invitation to the kingdom of God and its privileges. How interesting is this that right after he says what is the hope of his calling, he says what are the riches of his inheritance. The word inheritance in the Greek means privileges that you receive because you've had admission to. Now my understanding of inheritance is that when something bad happens you get something. Right? When somebody dies, that's inheritance. One of the beautiful things about the inheritance into the kingdom of God is this, is that it starts the day that your life has been transformed. It's here and now. You say, well, David, I thought inheritance was eternal life. Inheritance is everything that we are in Christ. 
it says that it is the privileges that are, that are a part of the admission to the kingdom of God. And remember, the calling is, is that you have an invitation to the kingdom of God and His privileges. So what are the riches of His inheritance? When you accept Jesus, when you accept the calling on your life, and let me just go back for a second. Too often we pray this prayer. I hear it all the time. God, I'm, I'm, I'm crying out and asking you where you're calling me in life. What's my calling in life? Let me tell you what your calling in life is. It's very simple. Your calling in life is to bring glory to the name of Jesus. I don't think we have to pray that prayer anymore. I think that what we pray is, God, what avenue do I use? What workplace do I go to? What do I do to bring glory to the name of Jesus, which is my calling? See, your job can change left and right, and you say, well, I thought my calling was this, or I thought I was supposed to do this, or I thought I was supposed to do that. Your calling never changes. Your calling is to bring glory to the name of Jesus wherever you're at. You said, David, I'm really struggling on what my calling is. Well, now you know what it is. Let's pray and ask God, where's the best place for you to use your calling? Have you ever thought about whenever you're seeking out jobs, whenever you're seeking out where to go, or or if you're supposed to do this, or if you're supposed to do that, which of these locations or which of these places would I have a greater influence on the kingdom of God? Have you ever thought about that if you were offered a job over here that maybe makes $10 an hour and over here maybe makes, well, they, they shared with me right beforehand that I made at my very first job, I made $5.15 an hour. So let's say if I made $5.15 an hour over here, but I made $6.15 an hour over here, then, you know, a lot of times we run to whichever one has the most money. And, and listen, I'm not telling you that that's a, a right or wrong thing, but what I am telling you is that if God tells you that you have a greater impact right here and, and for the kingdom of God, you need to come over here. But too often we get focused on what is my calling and where do I need to go and, 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 and trying to climb this ladder and God's saying, hey, wherever you're at, for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God, that's where you need to be. I have seen more people blessed by walking into a job that they thought, well, well, well I had this over here and I could have done this or I could have done that. And they come over here and all of a sudden God just pours out blessings upon blessings because they're doing what they're supposed to do. I could tell you examples in my own life in my family's life, of times where, where there was an opportunity here and, 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 and I could have ran there, I could have done this, and next thing you know, because I listened to where God wanted to use me for the calling, which is to bring glory to the name of Jesus, the privilege that he's bla- placed upon us, the blessings of God has overflowed. So the riches of his inheritance, number one in that is this, is that we have... The privilege of working for the kingdom of God. It says now that our focus is not on our kingdom, but on God's kingdom. But too often we focus on our kingdom. But listen, it's not a burden to work for the kingdom of God. It's a privilege. Too often we say, man, you know, I can't do this and I can't do that. No, let's rejoice in the fact that our lives have been changed because we've accepted the invitation and God has changed our life and now our life is for the kingdom of God. We need to rejoice and have joy in our life that God has called us to live our life for the kingdom of God and not the world. We need to rejoice and see it as a privilege every day that we wake up to go share the gospel of Jesus Christ, not as a fearful thing, oh no, I have to share the gospel with this person. Not as a fearful thing of this or that. Not as almost like, woe is me, I can't do anything because I'm a Christian. And as Brother Fred said, it doesn't mean that we look like we drink a whole bunch of pickle juice every day. Like, 
I'm telling y'all something. I've been saved for several years, and I love every minute of it. Even if I lose my life today for the kingdom, it only gets better. How about that? How cool is that? Sorry, I just blew my mind there. That was not in my notes. So we see the privilege of working for the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 16-21. I'm going to have to speed up a little bit. But y'all know this scripture. But it talks about that we are God's ambassadors. That he's using us to speak the gospel to, to people. The gospel of reconciliation. That's our calling. That's the privilege. Listen, God has chosen and called you to go speak the gospel of Jesus. How awesome is that? But yet we see it as a burden sometimes. Acts 8, chapter 1, I do want to read this one. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says this. This is so, like, when I heard this, it was like that light bulb just popped off in my head. Maybe broke, I don't know, but it, like, went off. But it says, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Saul was in hearty agreement with uh, putting him to death. And that's talking about Stephen. And then it says, On that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Listen, God had called them to go to these places. Put that back up on the screen for me. God had called them to go to these places. Who do you see that went? The people. Where are the apostles? They stayed back. You know what I love about this scripture? And it's not like, like hey David, I don't have to do, I'm a pastor, so I'm going to stay back and send the people out. But what I see here is this. Is that the people were mobilized through persecution to go out and share the gospel with people. And go throughout the lands. And to scatter abroad to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Too often we see it the other way. In our minds we say, and the apostles went out and shared the gospel and the people stayed home. But that's not what we see in the first church. And so I'm challenging you today that that it's a privilege. Part of the inheritance that you've been given is to go and share the gospel. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and let's just go to verse 5 here. It says, but you be sober in all things, endure hardship, and do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Hey, that's talking to everybody. If you're writing notes down, go on and put 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. But in verse 5, it tells us, do the work of the evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Guess what? Everyone just got on their, their work schedule evangelism. Everybody was just... Promote it to evangelism today. So as you leave this place, the gospel says part of the privilege of the inheritance is that you get to go and share the gospel with people. Another part of the privilege of the inheritance is that God has a perfect plan for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know that the plans that I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare and not calamity to give you a future and a hope. Listen, God has a plan for our life. And you say, well, David, you know, uh, what, what does this mean? Is it prosperity? It's not talking about, it's talking about prosperity in the kingdom of God. It's talking about growing the kingdom of God. It's talking about taking, now your life has a plan, your plan in your life, your calling in life is to go and to live for the kingdom of God. But that should make you so excited. Why? Why does it make you so excited? Because you've 
accepted the invitation to the kingdom of God, and your life has been transformed. See, this, this, this is so beautiful. He goes, I pray that through wisdom that your eyes are open to what is the hope of your calling and what are the riches of your inheritance. When you've accepted the calling, now you have the riches of the inheritance, which are the privileges. There's another privilege, and there's tons of privileges. I just can't get to them all today. But this one's very important. And that is, is that you have the privilege of the indwelling Holy Spirit. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you accept the calling to the invitation to the kingdom of God, the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's powerful. Why? Because it's only by the power of God that we can go forth and share the gospel. It's the breath of God that must come forth from our mouth because the breath of God will not come back void, Isaiah says. I think I believe it's chapter 55. The word of God will not come back void. And so you have part of your privileges is the indwelling Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. In verse 10, it says, If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Right there, it says that the Spirit of God dwells in you. So go to verse 11. It says this, But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ... Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through, the, through His Spirit who dwells in you. Two things I want you to see here. You have the privilege of the indwelling Holy Spirit. I don't know about y'all, but that's exciting to me. And the reason this is so important to the, to the people of, Israel, uh, of, of Ephesus is because they had Artemis' temple and they saw this great temple where this false god lived and they would be like, well, I see their temple and people would say, well, where's your god live? And they got to say, because Paul shares with them, hey, he lives inside of me. Like, he dwells inside of me. I don't know about y'all, that's pretty cool. I'm still blown by that. Like, I can't get past Genesis chapter 1, but that's so cool to me that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of me. And not only that, but it says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Like, we got power. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 says this. It says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Heavenly Father. He's crying out in our, inside of us, the Holy Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. And then the scripture that many of you know, Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 25, the fruit of the Spirit. Because you have the indwelling Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of you, you have the fruit of the Spirit when you yield to the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you. You know, I go to these schools, elementary schools, and I'll see this month we're practicing patience, and I'm like, you can't. Good luck. I mean, if you really want somebody to come teach you patience, let me talk to you about the indwelling Holy Spirit and living a life according to the gospel and letting the Holy Spirit live through you. You say, David, second graders can't understand that. They can understand a whole lot more than you realize. When my daughter at the age of three, after I had to discipline her with her big old eyes and could barely speak, looked at me and said, Daddy, I trust you. I'm telling you, these little kids can understand a whole lot more than you could ever realize. I fell on my face and wept that night, realizing that my daughter understood. Only by God, because it's him and him alone. The next privilege that we have is eternal life. This is the one that we always kind of get excited about, but here's the thing. It is, it is 
a privilege, an inheritance. This is usually what we go to whenever we think about inheritance. We think about, okay, uh, eternal life. You know why we think about eternal life when we think about the inheritance? It's because on a worldly mindset, you don't get an inheritance till you die. Right? Something has to die to get an inheritance. Right? And so we think immediately eternal life because you have to die, then you get eternal life. But there's so much more to the inheritance that God's given us. If you really want to study this, go to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, and it tells you all the spiritual blessings that you receive in Him, in Christ. And so I do want you to see, though, that we do have a privilege, which is eternal life. Titus chapter 1, verse 2. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ago. Remember, hope means what? It means to know. It means the confidence of something that is good. We have confidence, assurance of eternal life. Guys, we don't have to worry about what's going to take place. God, who cannot lie, spoke it. It says in Titus chapter 3, verses 6 through 7, it says this, Whom he poured out upon us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior. It says, So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What does hope mean? Confident. We understand. Like we, it's it's going to happen. God who cannot lie. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, says this, for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of our transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. I believe the eternal inheritance is the eternal life, but I also believe that it's the glorification that when we get to the, to the throne of God, that, that all like, the new body, the, the, I, just, I can't even go into all of it. And so it shows us right here, not only does it show us the promise of eternal life, but it shows us why. Because of Jesus, the mediator between God and us, the blood of the Lamb, it allows us to accept the calling and the invitation that He's given us. So, the beauty of this prayer is, is that we see the hope of His calling, the acceptance of the invitation with its privileges, the riches of an inheritance, which means the privileges. But then the last part is key, because without it, we're, we got nothing. The last part says, and to know what is the, rit, or, uh, the surpassing greatness of his power. That's huge. Because it's through his power that we're able to live the Christ life. It's through his power that he was able to conquer death. And sin, it's through His power that we're able to be transformed from death to life, the greatest miracle that could ever happen. It's through the power of God that all of this takes place. This prayer is amazing because the prayer is just a seamless thread that just goes from one to the end of the invitation to the power and the calling. So in the power, let's look at it real quick and, and see, he just goes right into the power in Ephesians chapter 1. So let's just kind of keep walking through. In verse 20 it says, which he brought about, this is verse 20 of Ephesians chapter 1, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also the one to come. 
And he put all things in subject under his feet and gave him as head over the church, over all things to the church, which is his body and fullness of him who fills all in all. So we see here this prayer. And then he talks about what is the greatness of his power, the surpassing greatness of his power. And then we see him real quickly in this prayer say that that Jesus was, was placed here and all authority was placed here. Now, I want you to see something that's so beautiful. First off, we see that Jesus has all power right there because all authority is under his feet. But what I also want you to see is that in Ephesians 6, in, in Ephesians 6, we see the armor of God. And many of you know the armor of God. But it says that we, in verse 12, it says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Let me just ask you a question. This is what I love about the scripture. The scripture, like, it like interprets itself. It, it comes to life. So Ephesians 6, 12, in light of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 and on, what do we see? We see that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but it's against all this wickedness and worldly powers and all these things, right? But in Ephesians chapter 1, it already tells us where they are. Where are they? Under the feet of Jesus. So why are we worried? Oh, but it gets even better. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 and look at what it says in in Ephesians 2 verse 6. This is so beautiful. Now, or let me just kind of show you verses 1 through 3 talks about who we formerly were. Now they're saved. Verse 4 says, but God being rich in mercy. So he's saying now that you are a believer in Christ, now that you've accepted the call. Now in verse 6 it says, and he raised us up with him. Him is Jesus. And seated us with Jesus in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Alright, so let's put all this together real quick. All authority is under the foot of Jesus. He's all powerful. He has all authority. Right? We fight against worldly powers and dominions and all this stuff. We don't don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against all the, the, the demonic warfare, the powers of this world. Where are they under the foot of Jesus? Now that we are a believer in Christ Jesus, where are we? Seated with Jesus. Now, if we're seated with Jesus with all power and all the forces of darkness are under us, where does that make us? That makes us powerful because the indwelling Holy Spirit lives in us and God has placed us with Him over all the authority. You sit here and you say, David, I'm struggling with a stronghold. And I'm telling you, look at me today. You have victory. It says you're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he's placed you as a believer with Jesus, with all authority under the foot of Jesus. See, we forget our place sometimes. We get so focused on this world of where we are. We get so focused on the circumstances and the pains and the struggles and all these different things that are going on. And we lose sight that the fact that Jesus has placed us, God has placed us with Jesus. And all these things that are coming after us are under his feet, which ultimately it's under our feet because we're with Jesus. But yet our mindset says, whoa, I can't do this. I can't win this battle. I can't fight this. And you can't do it alone. But when you see where you're seated with Jesus, you are more than a conqueror. So I don't know what lies the evil one's telling you today, but I pray that by the power of the name of Jesus Christ, that the wisdom of God will come on you and that you will realize that you are seated in a place of power. And that has nothing to do with anything that we have done. It has everything to do with what Jesus has done on the cross. 
We've got to understand that Jesus is all-powerful. Listen, Genesis 1 says that God spoke and the earth was created. Has anybody ever spoken and anything come to existence? No. I can't get past Genesis 1. Like, that's how big my God is, and I just can't fathom it. And I'm just like, God, like, I, I read Genesis 1, I fall on my face and just weep because I'm like, that God that's that big loves me intimately. So we've got to understand, what is the surpassing greatness of his power? It's this, that God has placed us with Jesus, who's all-powerful, and so now all the authority that's coming after you in this world is under your foot. By Jesus. You say, well, David, why does bad things happen to good people? We can go back to the book of Job and we can understand. But listen, what we see here is this, is that things do happen in our lives, but that doesn't mean that they conquer us. We still live in victory. You say, David, I've been walking through a sickness. I understand, but you're walking through that sickness in victory in the name of Jesus. You say, David, I'm walking through a struggle and a temptation. You're walking through that temptation in victory. As long as you keep your eyes on Jesus, we're all authorities under his foot. You're in a place of victory. we got to quit living in a place of defeat. Because Jesus has a surpassing greatness of his power. Oh, and I've got to read this. This is one of my favorite scriptures. Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 18. I love this. Therefore, since the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through the death he might render powerless him who had power over death, and that is the devil. Whew! And might free those who fear of death were subject to slavery in their lives. For assuredly he does not give help to the angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. That's us, by the way. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful, faithful high priest in things pertaining to God and to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he also suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. It says right there, Satan's been defeated. Remember, he's under the foot of Jesus. It says right there, Jesus went through temptation so he can come and comfort you. I don't know what you're going through tonight. I don't know what you're going through this morning, but let me tell you something. You are a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You are already in a place of victory. Don't live in defeat. But let me tell you how you live in victory. You've got to keep your eyes focused on the one who gives you the victory. The indwelling Holy Spirit. The inheritance that you've been given. Who you are in Christ. The inheritance is the privileges that you have in Christ. You must keep your eyes focused on that. And so as we look at all this today, and as we close here, I want you to know this. I pray that that, that you realize that the invitation is open. Listen, that invitation does not close until you breathe your last breath. That invitation is here. And so my prayer is today is this. If you have not accepted the call to the kingdom of God, I pray that today is the day of salvation. If you're sitting here and you're a believer in Christ and and you've accepted the invitation, I pray that today that God realigns in your mind that you have privileges in Christ Jesus and that you are more than a conqueror because of the power of Christ that dwells inside of you through the Holy Spirit.